Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, we'll present for you over the next 20 minutes or so our thoughts, our views on three topics of the moment that are of importance to the hotel industry at large. Uh, and you, I have with me Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, and my name's Chris Bowne. I'm the editor of Hotel Analyst. And we start this week with uh, something by way of an update to do with what's going on off the back of the pandemic. We've been having a bit of a look at the whole business from the kind of medical end of how you get business in the travel sector moving again. Um, much of the world is still restricted in terms of international travel as governments grasp with what is the safe way to work their way out of this uh, situation. Uh, I spent some time listening to a symposium which was organised by uh, Carnival, the cruise group, and the uh, WTTC, uh, and also sponsored by Hilton Hotels. Um, they, they put on a webinar, we got lots of deep dive detail from medics about the whole business of vaccines, effectiveness, testing and all that good stuff um, as we kind of work, uh, worked through um, what is likely to be the outcome and uh, how we're going to get to the point where we can start more traveling more freely once more. Meantime, we've got uh, nations and travel businesses desperately trying to come up with uh, ruses, with plans, with with swift actions to somehow get the uh, get the wheels of international travel oiled so that they can start moving again. So what did you learn, Chris? Do you reckon from that uh, webinar on um, from the well, medics? I think I learned that uh, uh, by and large the medics think that when everyone's vaccinated then that substantially diminishes the risk of uh, of covid reappearing but i think i think the other thing that uh, i learned was that you know no no test is perfect but we are go- probably going to get to a point before too long hopefully where testing can be used to kind of uh, effectively uh, get everyone uh, on board planes trains boats etc uh, but it does require some kind of uh, common agreement across borders and across governments and jurisdictions to accept evidence of that people have either had a jab and or a test uh, and that it fits the bill um, and until that kind of uh, agreement at governmental level is is made then we are going to have potentially issues of of one jurisdiction going well you may say you've had a, a jab but we don't necessarily accept you can prove it to us so, yeah. um, or you've got the situation in China where they're insisting you have to have a Chinese jab before they let you in. Right. Okay. Which is an interesting one. I mean, I, I I've got a problem. I just don't see testing as, as being any sort of solution, really. Um, no, it, it feels like a bit of a dodgy sticking plaster to me, from all I've yeah. heard. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. I mean, there's just so risk with it. I mean, you know, I'm if I'm sitting here, take take me and the kids on holiday uh, am i really gonna chance <laughs> that we can't come back because you know one of them tests negative uh, or positive rather even though the chances are that that's a false positive um th- th- there is a significant yeah, yeah i mean there's a significant risk of that and what an absolute pain what do we do do we all 
then decamp and say okay none of us are flying and we have to then rush around trying to find a hotel that'll put us up with a positive test or just go around <laughs> again and have another test I, until you get a negative uh, well it's just bizarre isn't yeah, it I, I, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't see testing and the squillions we seem to be spending in the UK on testing for the life of me I don't see the point of it um, I mean I used to think when Dido Harding was running Talk Talk it was a bit of a rip off but um, compared to that <laughs> compared to what she's doing with testing track trace. and trace or whatever, yeah, whatever it's called um, no um, so I mean for me we've got a solution and that solution is vaccines yeah. and is there and we're now at a point where we've got everybody who's likely to become seriously ill with this has a vaccine in their arm if they want to have it in their arm um why can't we now just get on and open up society i i i'm really struggling to see the disease is endemic we're not going to eliminate it the scientists all agree with that yep. so unless you're going to you know I mean, it's an interesting one if the likes of New Zealand or Australia or South Korea, which are sealed up in this tight little bubble, um, how are they, <laughs> what choices are they going to make? I mean, Australia is saying, oh, well, we're not opening up till, you know, till well into next year. Well, you know, well, I'm not sure that's a very great solution for everybody. Um, I think we've just got to get on and get out there again. And, it, and it's something I'm getting increasingly uh, concerned that, you know, what I thought was going to be the case, that by now we'd all be gearing up, ready to unleash um, all this pent-up demand, that, you know, we've got this kind of um, oh no hang, hang on we, we we might have a, a variant here or an outbreak there and um, mm. we can't do that well look either we're in a situation where as far as we can tell most people are or nearly everybody is safe now we're not going to be hospitalized with this vaccine even the variants even, even if you know that they're, they're struggling to stop you catching it with these new variants none of them as far as we've seen so far have actually hospitalized anybody so there's still a hundred percent efficacy from the vaccines mm. towards hospitalizations and death which is pretty damn good news it's much better than we were thinking about even three four months ago um this is fabulous news but we seem to be taking the shine off that and we seem to be heading into this risk averse world where we're not prepared to to do anything i, I mean i think we need to do a switcheroo here in mm. terms of the burden of proof and if we want to stay locked down or we want to keep restrictions in place show us the evidence for this because they haven't delivered that evidence, actually. No, and then, um, well, there's some more stats that just come out this week, which actually show that 92% uh, of deaths were in people aged 60 or over in England and Wales, oh. um, and and 99% is in uh, are in the over 40s. So yeah. um yeah. you know the, the, and the, these it's are all the groups that have been vaccinated in the UK yes, we're quite, all there quite you know so it, quite, if you quite. if anyone would accept a 99% reduction in in a, in the risk of something um mm. I'd say that's mm. pretty good that is good yeah. and 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 you know when you're at the i mean in terms of the deaths if you're if you're under 60 you are more likely to die in a car accident three times more likely to die in a car accident than you are to die of coronavirus now there is 
this long covid which it, nobody seems to have a handle on on how serious it is but it, you, you're not going to die from covid if you're under 60 um you know your risk of dying you, you know you don't stop driving i haven't seen anybody that stopped driving because mm. they're so scared of being on the roads right. um what why are we stopping living because of a, a risk which is one third of that of going onto the road it, it doesn't make any sense our current approach i get when we had this this risk of wiping out um you know anybody you know so many people who were over 60 and i i really understand that and i you know i, I do see that but but we're at a point now as you say chris where i think we ought to take a a more pragmatic approach to this and there has to be a demonstration of why we need to retain these restrictions rather than the other way around which seems to be oh prove that there there isn't any risk well that's just a bonkers way of running society it you know it, it is the equivalent of you know when the, the when the cars initially came about they had somebody walking in front of them with a red flag <laughs> well, we're at that point at the moment i think with this and Absolutely. we've got to get rid of that person with the red flag in front of the car um and get back to normal life i mean in in my comments on this um on your piece, Chris, I, I looked at some Barclay Card data uh, in in terms of what's happened um, since the reopening in England on April the twelfth, and there's this big surge, as you'd expect. I mean, I've had a haircut, um, <laughs> and uh, about a whole bunch of people. In, but in beauty parlours and hairdressers, the demand, according to Barclay Card, in the week since the twelfth of April, sixty-two percent up, and that's compared to the same week in twenty nineteen. Um, so there's huge surge in demand, but in hospitality in that week um it was still 40 percent down on where it was in 2019 and that's because of course hospitality can't properly reopen mm. um because it's only outside and um but there's massive demand there to you know from consumers to get out there and do stuff as you know uh, uh, but but the the industry is just not being allowed at the moment to capitalize that and it seems to me a deeply unfair position that we're all in that we can't get back out there um but um i think there's going to be push and push on this Absolutely. and we've got to see a change in terms of this the way we're we're, we're ordering things at the minute in terms of um the the, the lack of sense regarding um the proof and the risk now, before we're both hospitalised with uh, high blood pressure after that session, let's uh, move on to something that uh, perhaps will, will uh, in, excite us a little less, but is no less important. We're going to look at a couple of the budget brands who recently reported on their 2020 numbers, uh, that being uh, Motel One in Germany and Travel Lodge in the UK. They're both seen... Uh, declines of well, well over 60% in their revenues in the last year. They've both declared substantial losses. Um, but I think they're both looking forward, as and when they're allowed to, to get back open and get back to work and probably are both poised to have a half-decent 2021. Back a year ago, if you'd have said what, what sort of companies are going to be in trouble in this environment, you would say least um uh, hotel chains which had uh, predominantly leases and travel lodge and motel one are two of the most prominent um, amongst them um and indeed if you if you look at the travel lodge uh figures 
um, you see that fifty uh, percent or almost fifty percent of their operating costs is rent, um, and it was fixed until they obviously had their uh, <laughs> the um, strong arming their, CVA. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, quite <laughs> um, until until they did that. Um, um, yeah, um, but it, even with that, I mean, there's still you know they're open but uh, not properly they're open, still and they're still losing they? money. Yeah, yeah, yeah they are. Yeah. yeah, so so their turnover is roughly three to three and a half million a week, and they're currently going out the door with something somewhere between eight to twelve million. They reckon is their uh, the cost of operating at the minute. So there's and until they can open up properly again, they're going to be and until May the seventeenth, they're going to be in trouble. But I think once May the seventeenth comes, they're in a good position to 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 um, capitalise um, on the recovery. Um, I think their challenge is going to be that they haven't spent any cash. Um, and if you so uh, uh, some analysts um, at HSBC took a look and said, well, um, Travelodge have spent eighty percent less per room than Premier Inn has spent. Right. So that's a significant underspend. Now, Travelodge said, look. Well, our rooms haven't been that yes. busy. No need the to paint year. them. No one's been so, in. Yeah. Yes, yeah, quite. Yeah. Um, but I think, nonetheless, they won't be as spick and span as uh, Premier Inns are. And I think there is, there'll be even clearer blue water appear between those two brands. I mean, already I would suggest that. Uh, um, Premier Inn is well into the sort of mid-market mm. um, category, whereas Travel Lodge is still very much rooted in 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 the economy sector, and I think that gap's only going to grow. But I, I think if if Travel Lodge have had a bit of a problem with you know spend, how much worse is it going to be for independents? And I suspect um, net net. Travel Lodge will probably grow market share because of the exit of the independents. Mm. Um, I would argue Premier Inn will be at the top, um, but and at the bottom will be the independents. We'll wait and see this. This is the narrative we're expecting. Um, we'll wait and see how this this you know what actually occurs as we you know start the recovery. And I suppose the challenge for Motel One in Germany is there's still an exceedingly strong pipeline of new properties coming through. Um, which is potentially going to lead, lead to some softness in the market uh, over the next two or three years due to increased supply in a lot of the city markets where they operate. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, Whitbread are being particularly aggressive yeah. in Germany and they are prepared to take it on the nose for the next few years to get the scale they need to, to have a significant market presence. So... Um, I think it, it's it's going to be a bit of a battle for for Motel One. Whitbread are taking on leases as well, so uh, I'm not sure. You know, whereas coming into the UK market, for example, where there isn't a huge amount of appetite for leases, Motel One have been had uh, pushing against a few mm. open doors here yeah. and there. Um, less that is less the case in Germany, and I think it's going to be be quite tough. I, I mean, I like the motel one product mm. i think it's a it, it's a nice offer and it, and it's it very sits up right up there with premier inn I, I mean i would say that motel one is a slightly funkier more stylish version of premier inn but the same sort of thing a bed only offer um with a you know with the, the minimal sort of f and b mm. piece now we're going to look at uh, some improvements some changes in the digital space um it it seems that one of the few benefits we can talk about from the 
the pandemic is that hotelers, hoteliers have had a chance to uh, have a think about how they can make their businesses more efficient on the way out of lockdowns. They've had time to actually implement systems which might have been too complicated to implement when your hotel was busy so actually uh, having it sort of half empty suddenly becomes a sort of a blessing because you can implement that new CRM system that you've always thought about having but it was just going to be too awkward to to uh, overhaul um, and we've been looking around up looking at some of the uh, cleverer things in terms of the digital tech that uh, different hotel companies are testing out to improve their efficiency and perhaps reduce their need for manpower, uh, particularly as uh, things open up. And there are certainly concerns that um, a lot of people will have left the sector and won't automatically be jumping to come back in. Um, so I've been having a look and a listen to what's been going on. Um, people like uh, eBerry, which is the kind of tech end of Nordic Choice Hotels, testing out AI um, and uh, improving their kind of app-based uh, delivery of services. Um, Elia in Spain, who is using software robots to smarten up their back office functions. And also hearing from um, Opti Solutions, who are helping hotels be more efficient with their uh, cleaning services. Um, of course, cleaning room servicing was one of the big things early on in, in COVID that the hotel groups didn't want. They didn't want someone coming in, a stranger coming into their room when they were worried about catching COVID-19 from them. Um, and shortly thereafter, hotel bosses thought there might be an excuse to reduce room service frequency and improve uh, margins. Uh, it's turned out to be much more nuanced than that as things have moved through. Um, but as I say, finally, it does feel like uh, the hotel industry at large is adopting new tech and getting to grapple with the mountains of data that are lying about under too many general managers' desks and working out what they might profitably do with them. Yeah, if the first wave of, of tech in the hotel sector was all about distribution, I think this is all about the on-property. This next wave we're seeing now is all about the on-property. I was quite taken with the eBerry, Nordic Choices eBerry. I mean, Nordic Choices, because it's privately held, it's not a company we regularly look at. Um, so uh, it had largely escaped me what they'd done, but I hadn't realised that it was back at the beginning of, well, the end of 2015, actually, that they launched this. They launched as a separate standalone business um and it's 150 plus people now i think uh, maybe beyond that um and that it's kind of they've 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 um i was going to call it the special mm. projects division but that's obviously yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's sometimes used as a, a something that's about to be shut down and pushed out the oh, door right. but uh, i mean i was thinking more, more james sense bond special thinking, projects you know, <laughs> yes <laughs> well it is the way yeah when they're fiddling with break it yeah fiddling with alexa you know apparently they they pulled an alexa to bits and reprogrammed it or whatever um and and stuck it in a few rooms um just to see how guests interact with it and learn from that and see what's going on they're, they're using artificial intelligence to to you know improve their marketing spend um and robots for uh, for in for customer service and so forth as well all of these little experimental bits which is kind of a bit like the 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 internet aggregators the expedias and the bookings um where they talk about a b testing in a way this is what choice is doing in its eBerry units uh, with all these different on-property experiences which I think is a good thing 
and I think hoteliers really ought to need to be doing and and we've got some good examples of that I mean um, Citizen M is often used as one of the, the the pioneers of this, rightly so, I think. But you know, there's a bunch. Of, we're seeing it with the global majors as well. They're putting significant investment into uh, uh, choose your own room, into mobile keys, etc., etc. And all of this stuff, I think, is really going to transform that customer relationship and actually provide all that data to to enable hoteliers to do something. Um, uh, meaningful for customers with that in-room experience and you know not just um, provide the same old same old service but actually change it and and personalize it um, as appropriate and and if we will see some real productivity increases I think um, as we come out of this and as this technology is brought to bear and is used appropriately I think the critical piece is that hoteliers what happened last time around just over a couple of decades decades ago when we had that first wave of the internet and the aggregators came in and they, they took over the customer relationship and the critical thing is that hoteliers don't allow other tech companies to come in here in the on-property space and start taking over the customer relationship by all means work with tech companies I think it's a sensible thing to do um, but the hotelier hotel companies must retain um, that customer relationship and be in charge of that that that's the critical thing I think as 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 this that this grows and becomes more and more important um, and it's interesting as you look at this how it compares to say retail how what they're talking about you know they they bang on about omni-channel well this is exactly how this has to be in terms of the customer piece it needs to be omni-channel whether the customer phones up the front desk or whether they interact with the Alexa in their room they tap something on their app whatever it is it's all got to be connected and joined up so it, it, the customer gets a, a, a consistent experience yes i mean i love to comment from uh, raul gonzalez of uh, barcelo who said that they're looking to now try to understand uh, before a customer arrives what the likely score they're going to get in terms of customer satisfaction mm. and if you can mm. understand the behavioral style of the customer you can improve the the level of satisfaction by by engaging with them in the way that they want to be engaged with so um uh, let's hope it all works yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now let's move on to our five star and no star awards. Uh, and this week, our five star goes to Friedrich Yusen of Tui Group. Um, and it's a five star award for optimism because uh, he's been on uh, the BBC uh, <laughs> declaring that uh, Tui is going to run 75% of its normal summer holiday schedule. So here's hoping it happens. Yes, he's pretty bullish, I suspect. I mean, I hope he's right in a way, because that does mean we're going to get going. But uh, I, I think what he has shown, as soon as he opens up bookings, he fills his planes up, which demonstrates just what the appetite is 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 like out there. Um, so there's no question that when we're able to, we're going to get going. But uh, I think um, it's going to be a challenge given the border situation at the minute. I mean, in addition to that, the, the horrors that airports at the minute i mean heathrow with six hour plus queues to get through i mean i certainly don't fancy um going on a summer break if it, <laughs> i've got to go through that and and then the the russian roulette of you know are you going to pass your your test or not you know goodness me no i'll i'll, I'll stick to uh domestic 
um, holidays this and year. And then our No Star Award goes to uh, Britannia Hotels, the uh, UK hotel chain, uh, who every other hotelier is grateful for because they increase their chances of getting into the top <laughs> half of, of any any ranking because Britannia seems to specialise in coming bottom on most. Uh, now, Britannia have been fined £80,000 uh, as a health and safety broken railings at their hotel in Southport. They knew that they needed fixing. They did nothing about it. And a guest fell through the gap and was quite badly injured um, as a result. So... Um, uh, no stars to Britannia for failing to fix a basic health, health and safety item at their hotel. Mm. They are not a great advert for the industry, no, I'm no. afraid. Must try harder. And on that note, we'll say goodbye for now. <laughs>